You guys can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. While you're turning there, I I wanted to encourage you, if you haven't yet found a place, a Bible study, a small group to connect to at Grace, it's not too late. We have a lot of different groups meeting this fall. There's ones that meet on Sunday mornings during the services. There's uh, men's Bible study, women's Bible study, college groups, youth groups. There's home churches, co-ed groups that meet in people's homes. We would love to get you connected. That's where you really grow in your walk in crisis within you do life with other people when you study the word with other people. So for any of these groups, just go to our website or to our app and click connect. All the groups are listed there or you can talk to one of us on staff after the service. We'd love to get you connected. Well, I'm assuming that most of you know that this last week, this Thursday, was the 13th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center. So we're we're 13 years on from 9-11, and that day still unites us as a nation. We stop and we remember this event that, that united all of us. It, it trumped everything that divides. It pulled us all together as one nation, whites and blacks, Republicans, Democrats, conservative liberals, rich and poor. Everyone in the nation was transfixed on this event it rose above it. it. It transcended everything that commonly divides us. So every year we gather together as one nation, one people, to, to once again remember this transcendent event. Well, well that's where our passage is going to take us this morning. See, 9-11, that event unites Americans for a day, but there is a much greater historical event that unites all of God's people for all of time. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, a transcendent event that unites us, that trumps everything else that divides the people of God. And the church in Corinth, God's people in Corinth, were very divided. There's lots of division going on in the church. Look with me, chapter 1, starting in verse 10. Paul says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by closed people, that there are quarrels among you. There were different factions in the church in Corinth, different people following different leaders competing with each other for prestige and followers. So in a lot of ways, the church of Corinth was like the church in America today. We're divided over all kinds of things. There's theological issues that divide us, uh, reformed doctrine or not reformed, baptize infants or don't baptize them, women in ministry, women not in ministry, all kinds of theological differences. And there's denominational differences. There's Bible church, there's Baptists, there's Methodists, there's Lutherans, there's Presbyterians. There's all these different things that that divide us out. And, And what we need to understand when we think about all of those different groups, God doesn't have a problem with the fact that we're divided into different groups. The the fact that we worship in different groups isn't in and of itself a problem. Part of that is just the reality that all the Christians in this town aren't going to fit in one room on Sunday morning. We we need different churches. We should thank God for the different churches in this town because we need them all. God doesn't have a problem with the fact that we're divided into different groups. He has a problem with the fact that those groups are often in competition and conflict with one another. It does not bother God that some of us worship here on Sunday morning and some people worship at a Presbyterian church. What bothers God is when we don't get along with the Presbyterians. That's when it becomes a problem, when we allow these things that that separate us into groups to become divisions, that divide the body of Christ, that create strife, 
that create conflict, when we're harsh over our doctrinal differences, when we get competitive with one another, competing for people in the pews, competing for prestige in the community, that's what breaks the heart of God. When we allow the body of Christ to be divided into different factions in competition with one another, that's what had happened in Corinth. As best we can tell, they didn't have a room that could fit everyone. And so they divided into a lot of different home churches, and those home churches began to compete with one another, to disagree about things and let those disagreements divide them from one another. And so Paul writes this letter, he writes the book of 1 Corinthians to draw them back together, to draw their attention to to this one transcendent event that unites all of God's people, that transcends our little theological differences, that transcends our denominational differences, that unites all of God's people for all time. You see that event in verse 17. Verse 17, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. It would appear that one of the differences that was dividing these home churches was some conflict over baptism on who was qualified to administer it. And Paul says, guys, baptism is not that big a deal. How you do it is not that important. What matters is the gospel. That's why I'm here. Not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. This, this message, this event that happened, the gospel, that is the thing that unites all of God's people together, that transcends every denominational difference, every theological difference. The gospel is what matters. It's what glues us together into one body of Christ. And so this morning, what we're going to do together is we're going to study this thing called the gospel, this event. We're going to go deeper into it than maybe you've ever gone before. We're going to look deeply at the gospel so that you can understand this transcendent event that unites God's people together. So there's three things that I'm going to walk you through with the gospel. The first thing that I want you to understand about the gospel is that the gospel is simple. The gospel, this event, this message that unites us, it's simple. Leave your finger in 1 Corinthians 1 and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Gospel is simple. That word is actually really simple. Gospel, it's kind of funny sounding in English. In Greek, all it means is good news. It is literally good news. That's all the gospel is, just good news. And that good news contains both information and an invitation. Information and an invitation. So let's begin with the the information of the gospel. Look with me, chapter 15, verse 3. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So this is the most important thing that Paul delivered to them, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So the information of the gospel is a couple facts here that you need to understand about the gospel. The first part of this information and this message is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Jesus died in our place. He took our sins upon himself and died. That's the meaning of Jesus' death. Now this idea of sins, the Bible says that all people have sinned, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is just a fancy term for doing bad stuff. Doing things that hurt other people, being selfish, giving into sinful attitudes or hurtful attitudes. I think if you ask most people, everyone would admit that in the course of their life, they have done bad things. They might not know to call it sin, but they would all agree with that. And the Bible tells us that, that if you've done bad things, then you deserve punishment. That's simply how the universe works. When people do bad things, they deserve to be punished for doing those bad things. So all of us have sinned, so all of us deserve punishment. But that's the good news of the gospel. 
that Jesus took our punishment in our place. He went to the cross, took our sins upon himself, died to take our punishment so that we could be forgiven, so that our sins could be washed away. That's what it says in 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Right there at the end of the verse is a second piece of good news, a second piece of information that you need to have in the gospel. Not only did Jesus die for our sins, but he also rose from the dead. On 1 Corinthians 15, right after the verses we read, Paul goes on, actually for a while, listing names of people who witnessed the resurrection. He goes to great lengths to prove to you that the resurrection happened. Why? Well, because the death of Jesus without the resurrection of Jesus isn't good news at all. If he died and then he didn't rose from the dead, then, then sin still won. Death still won. And his death for you was a really nice thing to do. I mean, that's nice that he died for you, but it's completely pointless. It's like somebody going out and buying you hot chocolate on a summer day. Nice gesture, but totally worthless. Why would I want that? But Jesus' death without the resurrection is pointless. That's why it's good news that death didn't win. Jesus conquered death. He rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death. As it says in Acts chapter 2, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. God was too strong for death to win. Jesus could not be held in the grave. He rose from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death. Death loses because Jesus won. So so the gospel begins with information, very simple information. Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. But, But it's not enough to just know that information. Gospel isn't just information. It is also an invitation. It's an invitation to to believe, to to receive this information as true, as it says in Acts 16. Uh, This is a Philippian jailer. He says to Paul and to Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they, that's Paul and Silas, said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe that this information is true for you and you'll be saved. In the context, it means you'll be delivered from the penalty of your sins. You, you will escape the punishment that your sins deserve if you believe, if you accept this information about Jesus to be true. You hear this every week. Oh, I feel like every week I share John 3.16 with you guys because it's the best verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever believes, it's an open invitation to anyone and everyone on the planet who will choose to believe that this information is true, that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead. If you accept that as true, then you are granted eternal life. You are forgiven. You are saved. You become a child of God now and forever. And so my question for you, really the most important question I have for you this morning is, have you believed? Have you heard this information before? Do you understand the information of the gospel? Do you you understand what it means that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead? So do you understand the information and have you accepted the invitation? Have you chosen to believe that it's true, that it's really true for you? If there's something holding you back for that, if you have an objection, 
if it just seems too good to be true, if you just can't find yourself believing in Jesus, I want to encourage you to come talk to me or someone else after the service this morning. We're going to have a time where you can come forward. We're going to have a lot of people up here to talk with you about the gospel. I would love to talk to you today or or let's go to lunch, let's meet for coffee. I'd like to talk to you about your objections to the gospel, whatever it is that's keeping you from believing. I'd love to talk with you through that. So that you can come to a place where you understand the information and you're willing to accept God's invitation to believe and to be saved. Please come talk to us. So the gospel is really simple. It's a little bit of information, just a simple invitation that God makes to all human beings. Believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead and you have eternal life. That's the gospel. It's simple news. That's the first thing to know about the gospel. The second thing to know about the gospel is that this simple message is offensive. It is offensive. Look with me again back in chapter 1. Let's start in verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Word of the cross, that's just a fancy way of talking about the gospel. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What Paul wants us to understand is that the gospel is a polarizing message you either love it or you hate it so the gospel it's like ranch dressing and justin bieber there are only strong opinions about you either love them or you hate them i i don't ever talk to anyone who has no opinion about ranch dressing or justin bieber they elicit very strong reactions so it is with the gospel very strong reactions you either love it or you hate it For those of us who who believe the message of the gospel, we love it because we find in this simple message the wisdom and the power of God. It's beautiful to us. We see wisdom and power when we look at the gospel. We see wisdom. The gospel to us is incredibly wise. It is brilliant. It makes so much sense because the gospel, it fixes this otherwise unsolvable problem of sin. You see, think about it. You, You got a God who is holy, a God who is righteous and just, and you have us who are sinners. We've done bad things. And so because you have a holy God and because you have sinners, therefore we must be punished. There's no way around that. God can't just overlook our sin. He can't dismiss it because then he wouldn't be righteous. And and we can't somehow do a lot of good works to balance out the scales of justice. That's not even how our courts of law work. I was talking to a friend of mine this week who is working a legal case about a guy, this really nice guy who's a dad of a couple young kids, and this, this nice dad, he was out with friends one night, he had a couple beers, and then somebody needed something at home, so he got in the truck, drove home, lost control, killed a driver in an oncoming car. That man is going to go to jail for a long time. Doesn't matter that he's a nice dad. 
It doesn't matter that he did a ton of good stuff in his life. It doesn't matter that he made good decisions 99.99% of the time. That one action is going to send him to jail for a very long time because justice must be served. We know that. We see that in our own courts of law. And so here we are. We are sinners. We have done what's wrong. It doesn't matter what else we've done that's good. Justice must be served, and so we must be punished. There is no solution to that problem until Jesus enters the picture. Because what did Jesus do? He took our punishment in our place so that God could be righteous and make us righteous. It's the beautiful news of of Romans 3. For all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, being justified, being declared righteous or forgiven as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, so that God would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I love the end of that passage. Just and justifier. What Paul's saying is God gets to have his cake and eat it too. God gets to be the righteous judge and declare sinners to be righteous. There is a solution to the intractable problem of sin, and it's Jesus. It's the gospel. The gospel is so brilliant. It does what no other religion can. It tells you how a righteous God can save sinners like us. Gospel is the only way that sinners don't end up in hell. The gospel, we look at it and we see the wisdom of God. It is absolutely brilliant. The one and only solution to the unsolvable problem of sin. We look at it and we see wisdom. We look at it and we see power. We see incredible power in the gospel. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. What is the mission of Grace Bible Church? Grace Bible Church is here to engage the world with God's transforming grace. God's transforming grace. God's grace transforms. Nothing else in the world can Every other proposed solution to humanity's problems, everything else that's designed to to fix humanity, education, better health care, economic improvement, better laws, all of that stuff, all it can do is fix symptoms. It can only treat the surface issues. Only the gospel can treat the root issues of the things that enslave the human race. Only the gospel can transform us. It's the gospel alone that can, can fix the problem of shame and guilt within us. Because when you sin, shame and guilt is always what comes after it, even if you won't admit it to yourself. Everyone on this planet, when they sin, they experience shame and guilt. And maybe they try to run from it, maybe they try to drown it with other pleasures and distractions, but there's only one thing that can take away the shame and guilt of sin, and that's the gospel. That's why the gospel is so great. It can remove shame and guilt like nothing else. God says in Isaiah 1, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. That's what we sung about this morning. It is the gospel alone that can cleanse the human heart of shame and guilt. That can free you from slavery to shame and guilt. It's the gospel. It's the only thing that can save you from shame and guilt. The gospel is, is the only thing in your life that can deliver you from the fear of death. Fear of death, that's like the great equalizer. Everyone fears death. The rich and the poor, the, the weak and the powerful. Everyone fears death, but we, we, we've been delivered from the fear of death through the promise of the gospel. The co- gospel declares, you, you will live forever. Death for you will be only a momentary door you walk through on your way to the new heavens and the new earth. 
That's why Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where is the sting of death? It's gone for us. We have no need to fear death. The gospel has delivered us from the fear of death by promising us an eternity with God. The gospel delivers us from all the things that enslave and hold down the human race. The gospel is infinitely powerful. It is the only thing on earth that can transform individuals and societies. The gospel is brilliantly wise and infinitely powerful. That's what we see when we look at the gospel. We who believe, we look at the gospel and we see God's power and wisdom on display and we love it. But those who don't believe the gospel, those who reject the gospel, when they look at the gospel, they see exactly the opposite. When they look at the gospel, all they see is foolishness and weakness. Paul says for the Jews, when when the Jews look at the gospel, they see a stumbling block. Why? Because the gospel declares that Jesus is the Christ, God's Messiah, God's anointed king, and that this anointed king was crucified. And the Jews, they have no problem with the idea of a Messiah. They're still looking for their Messiah. Their problem is the fact that God's anointed king got crucified. Crucifixion, it's a curse. Why would God allow his king to be crucified, to be cursed? That makes no sense. And so they reject it. They stumble over the humiliation of their king. And the Greeks, they dismiss the gospel because it is foolishness to them. Whole, whole gospel is just absurd to, to the Greek mind, the Greek philosopher. As the gospel declares that there's only one God, the Greeks believe there was a whole pantheon of gods. They find it ridiculous that you'd believe in, in only one. And, and the gospel declares that that only one God took on human flesh and, and became just a carpenter born in some podunk Jewish town who lived a poor life and then died as a criminal. Seriously, that makes no sense. No God would do that. And then finally, the gospel declares that Jesus rose from the dead. And we've never seen that. That sounds absolutely ridiculous to us. So the Greeks just dismiss the gospel out of hand. It's just absurdity. You see a lot of that today, a lot of that same opinion. When our world looks at the gospel, what do they see? Well, maybe a fairy tale. It's a myth that was invented long ago to control people, to, to make people be moral to one another. It's no more worthy of your belief than Harry Potter books. There's nothing more truthful in it than that. So they see maybe a fairy tale, or, or maybe they see something that's just incredibly judgmental, because the gospel, it calls us sinners. That's mean. And the gospel, it claims to be the only way to have eternal life, to be right with God. That's incredibly judgmental. It's incredibly exclusive, and so they reject it. Or maybe they look at the gospel and they see something that just looks way too good to be true. You're telling me that forgiveness and eternal life and heaven and everything, all of that good stuff, it's yours as a free gift. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to go to church for it. You don't have to go to synagogue for it. You don't have to do lots of good stuff for it. That's ridiculous because there is no such thing as a free lunch. And so they dismiss it. When the world looks at the gospel, all they see is foolishness and weakness, and so they dismiss it. You see these completely opposite reactions to the gospel. To us who believe, it is beautiful. It is God's wisdom and power on display. To those who reject it, it is absolutely absurd and ridiculous. They dismiss it as a judgmental superstition. And so that forces us to ask ourselves, why are there these two incredibly different responses to the gospel? 
Why does the world hate and reject this thing that we find so beautiful and true? Why do they reject the gospel? Why don't they see the truth of it? And what Paul is telling us in the passage that we read, why does the world not see the truth of the gospel? It's because they can't. They cannot see the beauty of it. They cannot see the wisdom and power of it. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14. But a natural man, a person unaided by God, a person in their natural human state, using their human reasoning, human intelligence, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Natural human reason cannot comprehend the truths of God. A a person unaided by God cannot comprehend the gospel. Why can't they comprehend it? Why can't they see the beauty and truth of it? Because they have been blinded. That's what you got to understand about the world. They are blind. All of these people you live with, all of these people you do life with, if they do not believe the gospel, they're going through life blinded. They're blinded first by Satan. By the God of this world, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That's a great irony in our world. Most of our nation does not believe that Satan actually exists. Well, I can promise you, he believes they exist. And, and he's at work in their lives, deceiving them. He is the father of lies, Jesus tells us in the book of John. He is incredibly skilled at deceiving people. And so he holds the world in the darkness. He deceives them. He holds a veil over their eyes so they can't see the beauty and truth of the gospel. But, but you've got to understand, unbelievers aren't just hapless victims of Satan's deception because there's something else deceiving them. Their, their own sin, their own love for unrighteousness. Paul says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, and here's the key, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Sin deceives us. When we give in to sin, it it hardens our hearts. That's the biblical phrase. It makes us dull and and insensitive to the truth. And so unbelievers, they are not just helpless victims of Satan's deception. They are deceiving themselves every time they give in to sin. They love their sin. They practice their sin. And every time they practice it, it puts the veil further over their eyes so they cannot see the beauty and truth of the gospel. So why does the world reject this message that is true and beautiful and lovely and wise and powerful? Because they can not see the truth of it. They can't see the beauty of it. They can't help but look at it and see weakness and foolishness because they are blinded by Satan and by their own sin. And so that raises a second question that's maybe even more important for us. Why is it that we can see the truth of the gospel? Are we smarter than them? Are we more moral than them? Are we more spiritual than them? No. The only reason that we can see the truth that they cannot is because God opened our eyes. Look at chapter 1, verse 24. Chapter 1, verse 24. Did you notice the very beginning of it? But to those who are called. 
to those who are called. Why do you believe the gospel? Because God called you out of deception, out of darkness, out of the lies. He lifted the veil. He opened your eyes so that you could see the beauty and the truth of the gospel. Jesus put it this way in the book of John, chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. God must draw us out of deception because we're so good at deceiving ourselves. We love sin so much we will remain in the dark unless God calls us into the light. Unless he draws us into the truth. And so what does that mean? Let's, it's a lot of theology. Let's bring this home. What does that mean for us as we think about the gospel? The first thing that means is we need to pray for those who don't know Jesus. We need to pray for them today and tomorrow and the next day and every day because they need a miracle. That's the only thing that's going to get them to believe the gospel is God is going to have to step into their lives and open their eyes. Now, the good thing is that's what God's in the business of doing. That's what God does. He opens the eyes of the blind. So we need to pray for those who don't know Jesus. We need to pray that God would open their eyes, that he would bring them out of deception and help them to see the beauty and wisdom and power of the gospel. We've got to pray because it's going to take a supernatural miracle in their lives for them to believe the truth. So let's pray today, tomorrow, every day for those who don't know Jesus. Let's pray. Second, it means that when you do go to share the gospel with that person, you need to expect ridicule. Yeah, they're going to reject it unless God's working in their life. Unless God is opening their eyes, they're, they're going to find it foolish. They might ridicule you. They might make fun of you. It might get real awkward between the two of you. Yeah, expect that to happen. Because if God leaves them in their unaided human reason, the gospel is going to sound ridiculous to them. Judgmental, superstitious, whatever. So expect that it's going to invite ridicule. That's how it works. But when they ridicule you, when it gets awkward and they make fun of you for sharing the gospel, third step, respond to that ridicule with compassion. Don't get angry. Don't get defensive. Don't hate them. Remember, remember, they're, they're not your enemy. They're a POW. They're a prisoner of war held in blindness by Satan and by their sin. So have compassion on them. Recognize that apart from the sovereign grace of God, you would make the same decision they were making. It is only God's grace that makes the gospel clear to you. And so have compassion on them. Love them, serve them, even when they hate you. The gospel is polarizing. To those who believe it, it is beautiful, wise, and powerful. To those who don't, it's foolishness and weakness. So we need to be praying desperately for those who don't know Jesus, that God would reach into their lives, open their eyes, draw them to the truth. And so the gospel is simple. Second, the gospel is offensive. Third thing, final thing to know about the gospel. It is all that really matters. At the end of the day, the gospel is really the only thing that matters in your life. Look with me, beginning of chapter 2. Paul says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. 
Paul says, when I, when I came to you, church of Corinth, for the first time, I did not come with persuasive speech. I did not come with great rhetoric. Well, it wasn't because Paul couldn't speak well. Now, you, you read the Bible and you see pretty clearly, Paul could hang with anybody in the ancient world, any lawyer, any rhetorician, any politician, any, any philosopher. Paul was incredibly gifted. He was brilliant. He was wise. And yet, when he came to Corinth, he laid all of that aside and he focused all of his efforts on this simple message, this simple but offensive truth about Jesus. That's all he focused on. Why? Because Paul recognized at the end of the day, that's all that matters. The gospel is the wisdom and the power of God. It is the only thing that can transform. It is the only hope of the world. Everything else in life is trivial compared to the gospel. Paul recognized sharing the gospel is the only reason we're here. Why did he come to Corinth? Not to baptize, but to share the gospel. Because that is why we're on earth. That's the only reason you are still here on this planet today is so that you can share the gospel with other people. That's the only reason God has left you here to share the gospel. And so let me ask you, as we, as we wrap this up, as we think about how this applies to our life, a couple weeks ago, if you were here, I, I asked you to call to mind two people in your life, maybe two people who are friends, two people who are in your family, two people you love and care about who don't yet believe in Jesus. I asked you to think about them by name, to, to picture their face, and, and to begin to pray for them every day and begin to, to share the gospel with them. So you've had a couple weeks. How are you doing? on that. Those two people, are you, are you praying for them every day? Are you praying that God would open their eyes? Are you looking for opportunities to share the gospel with them? Are you stepping out in, in courage and in, in boldness to share the good news of Jesus with them? Or, or have you not because you're too busy or, or maybe you're, you're a little afraid, you're too anxious about that? It could get awkward, it could be really difficult. If that's where you find yourself, that you have those two people in mind, Two people in mind, but you just can't bring yourself to share the gospel because you're just too afraid or too busy. I want to encourage you with the words of an unbeliever. Actually, the words of an atheist. He's a guy named Penn Gillette, part of the Penn and Teller uh, magician duo. Uh, He is an outspoken atheist. He talks a lot about Christians. This is one of the things that he said that really has stuck with me. If you believe there is a heaven and to hell and believe people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward between us. Well, how much must you have to hate somebody to believe that eternal life is possible and not tell them that? And an atheist gets it. He understands if, if you really believe that there is a solution to the problem of sin, if you really believe that God exists and loves us so much that he sent his own son to die for us, rise from the dead so that we could have eternal life. If you believe there is a heaven and you could go to it when you die and you don't tell people about that, that's selfish, that's hateful. What I've been telling myself, what I've been preaching to myself is that if I don't share the gospel with the world, that what I'm really saying to the world is go to hell because that's where they're going to go without the gospel. This isn't a game. It's not a fairy tale. This is real. If the gospel is true, then the world is dying to hear that news. I've been making changes to my life this summer so that I can spend more time with people who don't know Jesus. Because I love you all, but you all know Jesus already. And I've got to get out there in the world telling people who don't know him, and you do too. You have to get out of the Christian bubble and get with people who don't know Jesus so you can tell them the only thing that's going to set them free. 
the only hope that they have in life. So I challenge you and I plead with you to be praying every day for two people in your life who don't yet believe in Jesus. Pray for them by name every day that God would open their eyes, that he would work in their hearts and soften them so that they would see the beauty and truth of the gospel. And I want to encourage you to look for opportunities to share it with them. Don't let that freak you out. It may just be you take them to lunch or you go to coffee and you begin the conversation. Ask them what they think about life. Ask them what their hopes and dreams are. Get to know them so that you can begin to open the door to share the gospel. Maybe you can only share a little of it at this point. Maybe you can't share the gospel like we did this morning, all of this objective truth. Maybe you can just share your story. People will listen to your story. So share with them who Jesus is to you, what he's done in your life. If you can't bring yourself to speak it, if you're just too scared to do that, then take out your computer or a pen and write a letter. Do something this week to share the good news of the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus because that is all that matters in life. Let's pray that God will give us the courage, the boldness, and the conviction to go and share the good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven. If you'll join me with it in prayer and then stay in your seats and Chris McGuffey's gonna come up and invite you guys forward to talk more about the gospel. God, we, we come before you and we thank you and we praise you for this thing called the gospel and we confess for those of us who've been here a long time that it sounds like old news to us. We've, we've spoken it, we've, we've heard it, we've heard so much about it that can be easy to take it for granted. So Lord, we step back for a moment and we want to look at it with, with clear eyes, with open eyes and see how absolutely brilliant and wise and powerful and wonderful it is. Thank you that you are a God who is righteous and holy and yet you have chosen to save us from the hell that we deserve thank you that you were willing to pay a price that is so extreme you gave your own son jesus the righteous one to die for us to take our sins upon himself so that we could be saved we thank you and we praise you for your love and your grace that has set us free from sin and death and lord we come before you and we pray and we weep and we plead with you for those in our community who don't yet know jesus who are deceived by their sin and by Satan, who think that life is going great and don't realize that apart from you, they have no hope. We beg you to open their eyes. We pray that you would soften their hearts. We pray for our family members, for our friends, for our coworkers, for our peers who don't yet know Jesus. We pray that you would invade their lives, that you would set them free, that you would work a miracle to open their eyes so that they can see the beauty and truth and wonder of the gospel. And we pray that your spirit would fill us this week and give us boldness and courage to do something, to get out there and say something. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be bold, that we would love them enough to speak the words of the gospel into their lives. I pray, Lord, give us courage, give us conviction. Don't let us get distracted by the pursuits of this world. Help us to stay focused on the gospel because that is all that matters. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us and empower us with your spirit so that we would be your witnesses to this world of the incredibly good news that you love us, that your son died for us, that he rose from the dead, and that you give us eternal life as a free gift. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Good morning. We are so thankful that you joined with us.
in worship this morning here at Grace Bible Church. You know, at the end of every uh, service, we offer opportunities for people to get involved, to find out a little bit more about our church, um, to come sometimes to the events that we offer. This morning, uh, we want to do something that is a little bit different. Not so much involvement as a church body, but involvement uh, in your own personal Christian life. If you have questions about how to get connected or things like that, there's information that's outside in the foyer. You can talk with Pam, who's standing out uh, by the TV that's over there, and, and that's great. But as application for this morning, we really wanted to offer something that was a little different. That's an opportunity to respond. We know that in a crowd that, that's this large, that there are certainly some, even that are here this morning, that may not fully understand the gospel message. And that's great. We are so glad that you're here. But we want to offer an opportunity to maybe make some clarifications. If you are wondering what it is like to become someone who calls himself a follower of Jesus, it's interesting from Blake's sermon because probably the Holy Spirit is already active in your life. And we would love to offer you an opportunity to act upon that. If you want to um, just to come up and and, and to, to make some clarifications about what that means, if you want to come forward and actually pray with somebody about that decision, we're going to have some people that are up here at the front uh, that are available to do so. For some of you guys, you may just need to take out this card. It's our Connect card. You can fill out and get some more information. But on the back, you can also just write your name and, uh, and say, would you pray for me that I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling through that decision. I'm trying to figure out if that's what I want to commit my life to. And if that's where you are, that's great. Pull out that card and write your name, and I promise that we will pray for you this week. You can write down whether or not you'd like to be connected, and we'll do that, contacted, or, and we'll do that, or just, just to, to write down, please pray for me. And for others, uh, you know, it's scary to get out there and to be about sharing your faith and sharing what Christ has done in your life. And so if you want to come up and, and maybe pray for a loved one, pray for somebody that's in your family that has not yet come to faith, pray for uh, somebody along with us that you've been praying for for years, that they would come to faith. We would love for you to be able to do that too. If you want to just write down even a name of somebody that you would like us to pray for, we just want to offer any, any opportunity that would be your next step, your next step for living out full of faith, what the gospel has done for you how that might be able to impact somebody that's around you. So I'm going to close this in prayer. Uh, and as we do that, just uh, feel free. If, if you're good and, and you can move on to the next things, we want to just leave a little bit of time and a little bit of room up front for people that would like to respond. Father, thanks for this time uh, this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you have brought salvation into our lives. Father, for the realization that we, we need you and we can't live without you. And I pray that you would make us great ambassadors of that message to those that live around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys, have a great week. Come forward if you'd like to talk to somebody.